Welcome everyone to episode 315 of Fergo and the Freak. My name's the Glorious League Freak and a little bit of an episode here for our English Rugby League supporters and I guess European Rugby League supporters in general. I'm trying to mix it up at the moment so we get a little bit of everything for everyone. And what I thought I would do is sit down and try and work out who the top 10 clubs of the European Super League since 1996 are. Now, I'm going to call it European Super League. It's been called the Rugby Super League, the English Super League. I'm just going to call it European Super League at the moment because we do have a team from France in there. We have had another team from France in there. So for all intents and purposes, it is a European Super League. Now, how did I do this? It was very, very simple what I did. Basically, I gave points for meeting certain achievements as a Super League club. Um, I gave points for being a grand final winner. I gave points for being a runner-up in the grand final. I gave points for being uh, for winning the League Leader Shield, because that is an achievement. Um, I gave points for winning the Challenge Cup final and for being a runner-up in the Challenge Cup. I also gave points for winning the World Club Challenge because that's a big achievement for an English club. And I gave points for having a player that wins the Man of Steel Award and having Young Player of the Year. Now, the thing about those two, I wanted to make sure that I got an overall look so that if you looked at Super League from a distance and from a large timeline, you get a chance to see who generally are the better teams. That's what we're trying to find. And I think part of that, it's not only about the trophies that you win. It is who makes them finals. And if you lose them, look, it is you are a marker in history. I don't know that you could call it an achievement, but it is something that deserves to be recognized for certain. There's no doubt about that. In terms of having the best player of the season for the Man of Steel Award, I think that that is also a component of that. It is a marker in the game's history. And when it comes to Young Player of the Year, I thought it was important to acknowledge the teams that were producing the young players that stood out during Super League seasons. And that helped a lot of clubs that weren't at the top of this list. You know, the clubs that are, they develop a lot of talent and unfortunately they have them bought from them, from out from underneath them in a lot of circumstances. So... This is the list. I'm going to go from number 10 to number one. And we'll see where your club, because like if you're an English fan, you're going to be interested in this list. A lot of Australian fans, they're not going to be so interested, but let's get stuck into it. Number 10 on this list is the Huddersfield Giants. Now, they've been not too bad on and off for about 10 years. They haven't actually won a grand final or a Challenge Cup final, but they have had players that have stood out during the season, and they've been there or thereabouts. That got them a couple of points in there, and I think it's hard to argue against Huddersfield being the 10th place team. Um, it feels right. They would be, you know, a, around about middle of the table for most of their time in Super League, and if you look at this as a Super League table all time, they're around about the same area as well. So number 10 for Huddersfield, not a bad achievement. The next team 
is a little bit of a surprise. It is the Sheffield Eagles, based solely on one win in the Challenge Cup. The Sheffield Eagles, it's funny, they're one of those early teams in Super League that was supposed to be part of the brand new era. They were supposed to be this place that had a lot of, uh, what would you call it? There was a lot going for it, and everyone wanted them to do well. And unfortunately, they did well very early on, and that was that for the Sheffield Eagles. They kind of found their place in the lower grades. But they're on this list as number nine. Their name is etched in a trophy winner's cabinet, and, you know, you can't take that away from them. That's one of the beauties of winning a trophy. Number eight on this list, the Catalan Dragons. Now, similar sort of thing. They've made, They've won a Challenge Cup. They've made a Challenge Cup final and lost as well. That just gets them ahead of the Sheffield Eagles. And, you know, it feels right. That That's the thing about when I put this list together. When I put it together, I had my different markers for the teams in history. And when I put it together, it felt right. So that, that was always good. But yeah, Catalan Dragons, I would dare say that they're probably one of the few success stories that we've overall had in Super League. And it's good to see them going well whenever they're going well. We'd love to see them win a a grand final. That would be fantastic. And we'd love to see more teams in Super League, obviously, from France. Now, the team that just got in ahead of them, and it was mainly based on how well they did with Player of the Year awards, and Young Player of the Year awards as well. They also had a couple of runner-up trophies that went their way. It's the Castleford Tigers. A little bit of a surprise, the seventh-place team, the seventh-place club in Super League's entire history, the Castleford Tigers. They've been going well in recent years. They haven't quite got over that hump to get one of the trophies, um, the Challenge Cup or the Grand Final Winners Trophy. But hey, They've got the points on the board on my list. Number six, it's my club. It's Hull FC. Now, there's a big jump up here from number seven to number six because Hull FC, obviously, they've had success in the Challenge Cup final. They've been a runner-up in the Super League Grand Final as well. Few Player of the Year awards, Young Player of the Year awards, things like that. And so they're quite a, quite a way ahead of Castleford. Um, it was cool to see Hull FC on this list and they deserve to be there. You know, you win that Challenge Cup trophy. It means a lot. It it really does. So it was good to see them number six on the list. Number five on the list, it's the perennial bridesmaids, the Warrington Wolves. Now, the thing that helps them out, a lot of runner-up trophies, but They've also won the Challenge Cup as well. They've just won it a few times. So that went in their favour. Um, and once again, now you're starting to get into the clubs that are winning trophies. And so they're they're ahead of the pack in terms of the distance between them and seventh place, which they haven't won things. Apart from the Catalan Dragons, but really that's the only place they got theirs from. Number four. We're getting to the pointy end now. The Bradford Bulls. The Bradford Bulls, it's interesting because when Super League started, everyone sort of had an idea what, of what they thought was going to happen. A lot of people felt that Wigan were going to be the team to beat, and they really weren't for a long time early on. 
Super League kind of come in at a time when Wigan were just at the end of their dominant period. And I feel like personally that the first really dominant side in Super League were the Bradford Bulls. It felt like there was a period of time where they were winning everything. They had a very good forward pack for a Super League team. Um, They had a pretty good overall side. I was always a big fan of Jimmy Lowe's. I just thought he was a really good player, really underrated. And I think probably the best hooker that Great Britain has produced overall, maybe during the Super League era. So Bradford was in number four. Number three, the aforementioned Wigan. They're not called the Wigan Warriors. They're just Wigan. Um, a lot of grand final victories. They've got some uh, silverware in the Challenge Cup as well. They were always going to be near the top of this list. And that that got them number three. Number two, and this one was pretty pretty close, the Leeds Rhinos. They had their period of dominance. And one of the interesting things about Super League, most clubs that have a period of dominance, they have a team that sort of comes together at the right time. They're all around the right age. And they have a few years where they win a lot of stuff very quickly. And Leeds had that period of time. They're struggling a little bit now. And one of the interesting things too is after that period of time, most of these teams really struggle to continue any sort of success. And Leeds have really run into that. Wigan have done not too badly when you look at it overall. But none of them have done as well as the best club of the European Super League era since 1996, which is St. Helens, who have basically always been a very good team. There's only been a couple of years where they haven't had a really good club. And when they have had down years, they've pulled it together very quickly. I think one of the things that has helped them stay ahead of everyone else is that they've targeted coaches that have worked in Super League very well and that their players have responded to very well. And the other thing is they tend to get rid of players before they're completely useless and they bring in young players and invest in allowing those young players to get runs on the board. And a lot of other Super League clubs don't have that. You know, they'll have good players in their team, They all start to get towards the end of their careers and they'll bring in young players, but they don't really invest the time and effort needed that we have seen from a team like St. Helens who have done that. So that has earned St. Helens the number one club of the Super League era. So going back through top 10, St. Helens one, Leeds two, Wigan three, Bradford four, Warrington five, Hull FC six, Castleford seven, the Catalan Dragons, eight, Sheffield Eagles, incredibly nine, and Huddersfield Giants, 10. So if you want to know how I doled out the points, this is how it went. You got 10 points for a grand final win. You got one point for being a grand final loser, basically, because as I said, it's not an achievement. It is a marker. You were there, but it's not an achievement losing a grand final. Um, If you got the league leader shield, that was worth two points because I think that, you know, that is an achievement. That's probably going to be a lot lower than a lot of English fans would want for the league's league leaders trophy. 
But look, this is an Australian putting this list together, and I feel like it's only worth two points. The Challenge Cup winners, you get seven points. I think that everyone would agree that you would rather win the Grand Final than win the Challenge Cup. But at the same time, I think winning a Challenge Cup is far superior than being either a runner-up in the Grand Final or winning the League Leaders' Shield. So I gave that seven. I think that that's a very prestigious trophy. Um, And everyone that wins it, they can say, look, we won something. It's hard to beat that. Runner-up in the Challenge Cup, one point. Same as the Grand Final. Because you were there, but you didn't win. Um, World Club Challenge win, I gave it seven. I feel like English fans would have the Grand Final win ahead of both the Challenge Cup and winning the World Club Challenge. Um, And it was difficult to put a valuation on it as an Australian because we just don't value the, the World Club Challenge that much at all. But I feel like seven and putting it on the same level as winning the Challenge Cup final, I feel like that's pretty fair. So I gave a seven for that. Uh, if you had a Man of Steel player, I gave you one point. And if you had a Young Player of the Year, I gave you one point. So what do you think of that list? What do you think of the points that I gave for that? If you like it, let me know on Twitter. Just go to League Freak, no spaces. Let me know what you think. Um, and if you hate it, feel free to let me know what you think as well. Now, overnight in the Challenge Cup semi-final between Hull FC, my club, and St. Helens, we had an incident where Josh Griffin blew out his Achilles. He had a ruptured Achilles. Now, he was running the ball at the time, kind of slipped out of a tackle, blew out of his Achilles, and dropped the ball immediately as he was going to clutch his Achilles because he was in a lot of pain. Now, the whistle wasn't blown. He didn't go to the ground with the ball and hold onto it. He dropped it immediately. It was picked up by Theo Farge, who picked it up and scored. Now, a lot of people were very angry about this. Um, St. Helens led the game at the time, eight points to two, and there'd been 23 minutes of the game had gone. Um, I watched the footage and I didn't understand the outrage. I understand that Griffin, terrible injury. That's a season-ending injury. That's one of those injuries that's very difficult to come back from. It's easier to come back from than it used to be, but it's just a, it's a horrible, horrible injury. Um, it's not a good situation for him, and it's not a good situation for Hull FC. But nobody knew at the time what had happened. He just drops a ball, goes down, grabbing at his leg, and it, there was, it was a live ball situation. The referee hadn't blown the game up, and you've got to play to the whistle. And so I didn't see any problems with St. Helens scoring a try from that. Um, you know, I understand Hull FC fans not being happy with the situation, but why would they be? They've just seen one of their players blow out their Achilles during a, you know, a sudden death match. They're not going to be happy. But yeah, just a rotten situation for him. But I've got no problems with St. Helens scoring a try from that. St. Helens went on to win the game 
33 points to 18. They're going to go on to Wembley and, uh, you know, we'll see if they can add another Challenge Cup to their trophy cabinet. But I just wanted to say something along those lines because I really saw a lot of people blowing up about it and I don't know what they wanted St. Helens to do. It's a live ball situation. If Hull FC had picked the ball up themselves and gone the length of the field, it would have been a try. And they would have claimed the try, more importantly. That didn't happen, but, you know, it's rugby league. you got to play to the whistle. That's one of the first things they teach you. And sometimes it's a cruel game, but, hey, that's what happens. Now, a lot of really good feedback from the last episode that I did with Mike Mehor Wood from Forbes. Um, it was a really cool episode because... I think we both challenged each other's ideas in terms of what we felt like the international game should be about and how we thought the game should move forward from where it is right now. Um, and, And it was really cool. The feedback that we both got was really positive for both of us too. Um, I think the thing that it shows is that you can have different opinions on this game and it not descend into some slanging match like we see in mainstream media. And as I said in that podcast, most of the independent content creators that I find I talk to, we agree on the vast majority of things. And it is really, in most cases, very small details that we don't agree on. And the cool thing about the last podcast is I think that we both put across why we believed in certain things within the game that we did. And, you know, you could see how we got to those opinions. You could see how we got there. We both explained ourselves really well. And so if you enjoy international rugby league discussion, I would suggest that you go back to, and it's just the previous episode from this one you're listening to, go back to that episode, have a listen to it, see what you think about it. Now, in terms of international rugby league, a little bit of international rugby league news here. It seems that the North American rugby league competition that has been, you know, publicised all over the place, it seems like it has been put on the shelf for at least 12 months. Um, Very disappointing to hear that. I have heard that it has left a lot of the clubs that had put in a lot of effort and brought in players, trained them, Um, giving them promises of game time and things like that. It's left those clubs high and dry. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with those clubs. I've already seen that there have been some, I think, trial matches that have been set up between USARL clubs, which is the the USARL is the establishment competition. Um, That's the governing body that, has basically been continued on for many years now in the United States. And I've seen that those clubs have been playing trial games. So I wouldn't be shocked if we saw some of the teams that were going to be in the North American Rugby League competition end up in the USA Rugby League competition. And, you know, what happens from there, who knows? But it is disappointing that the North American Rugby League competition won't be going ahead. And I think what it shows in rugby league is that, you know, before you do all of the PR and before you 
you know, make a lot of promises and stuff, you've got to make sure that things are going ahead. We've seen too many times in rugby league where big promises have been made and they haven't been kept. And look, I think of things like, you know, test matches that were supposed to be played between, say, Australia and Tonga um, in the United States. There was a test match that was supposedly going to be played between, I think it was maybe Australia and Lebanon or someone, or maybe Australia and New Zealand. No, I think it was Australia and New Zealand. And that was going to be played in Turkey uh, to commemorate the 100th uh, anniversary of Gallipoli. And that never got off the ground. We've seen so many games that the Manly Seagulls were supposed to be playing in China, which never got off the ground. It's really disappointing when you see these things promoted and then they don't happen. And I think that's why you get a lot of people like me who, you know, when you've seen enough of these things, you start to become pretty jaded. And then when the new thing comes along, you're very, very wary of it. And it's very hard to shake that. It's very hard to try and shake that negativity of, all right, here we go again. What's this latest thing that someone's come up with that they're going to try and do? Will it even get off the ground? Um, it's hard to get out of that negative mindset because you get so disappointed so many times. So we'll see what happens in North America. I would hope that the United States Rugby League, I hope that they step up and they embrace some of these clubs that don't have anywhere to play anymore and that have already put in the, the effort and have got their playing squads together. It would be cool if they stepped up and said, look, this is one of the strengths of our competition is that, you know, we're established. We've we've got plans. We, we're going ahead and, you know, we've got clubs and you just jump aboard. It would be cool if that happened, but we'll wait and see. Um, it's a little bit of a fluid situation at the moment. And I just hope they sort it out. You know, the, the thing about rugby league in the United States is that it has its own culture. And it was set up and it's run and it's self-sustaining. And yes, it's at a smaller level than you see in the NRL and Super League. Of course it is. But they've got their own thing. They do it without any outside resources coming in. They do it themselves. And that's what's important. That's how you know you've got something to build upon when, you know, People that are locals, they say, hey, you know, this is my game. This is the game I've chosen to play. This is the club I'm putting effort into. They're traveling between cities over there to play these games. And, you know, you would love to see them get more support. But I think at the moment, they just all need time to sort of sit down, talk about what they can do moving forward that will help the game of rugby league. And, you know, knowing the background of, the United States Rugby League competition and how hard it fought to become the governing body overall. Um, I think they will come to the table and they'll help some of these clubs out. There are maybe some clubs that they will find it difficult to do that with in terms of how much money it'll cost to have, you know, cross-country competitions because a lot of rugby league over there is on the East Coast. That's where it's strongest. And at some point it just becomes too much money to start travelling you know, across to the West Coast to, to play some of those teams. But I think they will do their best. And I've got faith in everyone there. So fingers crossed, 
that they all get it sorted out. Now we have State of Origin coming up on Wednesday night. I will have a preview of the State of Origin game. I might get a guest on. We'll have a, a chat about State of Origin. Um, it's going to be interesting. I really can't wait to see the crowd up there in Townsville. It's going to be pretty cool. It's weird because um, all of the hotels in Townsville basically sold out before the tickets went on sale. And then ticket sales, there was a problem with that because the internet kept on crashing in certain places up there in Townsville. Apparently, there's some places where people are basically staying in tents to be ready for the state of origin because they can't get a hotel room, which shows commitment. Um, it'll be a good atmosphere. I think it's going to be a really good game. The closer we get to game time, I am leaning heavily towards New South Wales. I really like the team they've picked. And Queensland are doing all the same sort of things. They've brushed the media. They're having nothing to do with the build-up, which is pretty insular. But you expect that from the Maroons. And New South Wales have been very open with the media. They've been the complete opposite. Um, the thing that... Uh, oh, and we've also got... I, I can't remember which player it was. There was a Queenslander that had a tonsillitis scare. It's weird how the Queenslanders all get sick. They need to stop doing whatever they're doing together in close quarters. I reckon they all secretly pash each other or something for training because they all tend to get sick, allegedly. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few days. But that preview will be coming up, and uh, I'll post that as soon as that's all ready. So just a short episode today. Uh, if you, this is your first time listening, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. We do international episodes. We do a lot of NRL content. We do do Super League content when we can. We've had some English guests on. So if you have a look through our um, podcasting archives, which are all free, by the way, um, you'll see some English guests that we've had on. It's always been cool to talk about English Rugby League. And if you want to check out my website, it is leaguefreak.com. That's been going for well over a decade now. Um, wow, it's coming up on 20 years in a few years from now, which is weird to think about. Uh, if you want to check out Andrew's website, Andrew is normally on with me, but he's got baby duties today. So that is rugbyleagueproject.org. You can check out the podcast website, which is fergoandthefreak.com. You can also check out rugbyleaguepodcastingnetwork.com, which is a website that I own. And it has all the best independent rugby league podcasts on there. No commercial podcasts. Very important. Um, also, if you want to support my website or my side of the podcast, check out patreon.com forward slash league freak. I added a new tier just the other day that you can donate $1 per month if that's all you can afford. So there's $1, $3, $5. And then from there, you get up into tiers where if you support me at those tiers for three months, there's one tier where you get a free mug. There's one tier where you get a free sticker. There's one tier where you get a free T-shirt. Um, so check that out. See if that's something you want to do. The mugs are really good. I know Nadine ended up getting a mug and she showed me and it was it's pretty cool. So um, that's something to think about. You can also support Andrew's work on Rugby League Project and his part of the podcast go to patreon.com forward slash RL project. Everything that he does for rugby league project, he's always working on stats. I know at the moment in between 
when his baby's asleep, he's working on statistics immediately. So he's doing his best at the moment. So if you can support him, do that as well. So tell your friends to have a listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, St. Helens fans will probably be really happy. They've finally got the seal of approval that matters. And that's my seal of approval. Who cares what other people think? Um, So yeah, congratulations to St. Helens. You've done well. Who would have thought that all those runners-up medals that you got in grand finals would pay off eventually? Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.